lot of members is a forum. You know, uh, some say people like to call things like this a debate. I like to call it a debate, but it's a forum because they're not directly challenging each other. Uh, they're going to answer a bunch of questions. And the way this works, when I moderate uh, something like this, uh, my only requirement is that all the questions for the first hour. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Are mine and mine alone. I'm the only one that, that knows what they are. I wrote them myself. Um, and there are two places I come from when I write these questions at these types of forums. Uh, first is, I've had over 30 years of experience in politics. I lived 23 of those years in Washington, D.C., right across from the Watergate building most of those years. And uh, and uh, then I also have formal training as an HR person. My master's degree is in management, and my area especially is HR. And so when I'm asking questions of you, I'm going to ask you questions as if this is a HR interview that's happening live. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you, for example, unethical things, and uh, some of you may not be aware, when you go to an HR interview, it is unethical for them to ask you what you are going to do once you get the job. And the reason that that is unethical is because a company can just get 20 people lined up, find out all their best ideas, and then hire the cheapest person and say, hey, we've got 20 people's worth of ideas now. So your ideas of what you're going to do are your intellectual property. What we want to find out is what an HR professional finds out. What have you done? What have you done that would lead us to believe that you can solve the problems that our company or our city has? So all of these questions are going to come from that perspective. Either getting to know you questions, who do you know, that kind of thing, or what have you done? So keep that in mind. The format is very simple. We have three parts to it. The uh, first part is uh, a lightning round. So the first questions that I'm going to ask you have one word answers. Uh, if you start to explain yourself, I'm going to cut you off, and uh, the audience will turn against you, and uh, you know, pitchforks and all that will come out. Uh, after the lightning round, we will have the formal questions. You'll have 30 seconds to answer each of the formal questions. Uh, unless there's one or two questions I feel like you might need a little bit more time, I'll maybe go to 45 seconds. But for the most part, these are 30-second answers. And then the first hour, as I said on my questions. The last half hour is split into two parts. We have audience questions. And audience, this is where you come in. Uh, there are people walking around with index cards and uh, occasionally walking down the aisles. You'll see them. If you have a question, write it down on the index card. All the index cards are going to be passed up front uh, during the course of this event. And we have the president of the Humble Area Democrats, John Cotter, and his team over there uh, working hard to uh, go through those questions. They're going to actually be sending them to me uh, on my iPad, so I'll be able to read your audience questions when that appropriate time comes. At the very end, each of our candidates will be given two minutes to talk and uh, give their speech of finance. 
So we're not going to do any intros uh, on their part. What we're going to do is get right into it and start asking them questions. So if everybody's ready, the only rule that you need to remember is if you name somebody else by name, uh, they'll get 15 seconds in addition to their 30-second answers. Uh, other than that, it's pretty straightforward. We'll start with seat number one. Uh, the question number two, we'll start with seat number two, and we'll go round robin throughout the event that way. Unfortunately, we were informed at kind of the last minute that there are only two microphones available. And so the candidates are all going to have to pass that one good mic. And I, I, I think that one of those is a dummy mic. Yeah, if you'll just tap on it and see which one works. Do they both work? If they both work, just use them as long as they'll work. Uh, but we're going to have to pass those mics around. And uh, finally, I am my own timekeeper, so when you see my hand go in the air, please respect the time. Uh, I'm not afraid to cut you off, and I don't, you know, I'm not shy about that. So we'll just keep moving forward. There's a lot to go through tonight. Everybody ready? Good. Okay. So number one, name a Houston business owner who would vouch for you. Julia Williams. And what's the business? What's the name of the business? Yeah, uh, Oxygen Bar for uh, Amy. Oxygen Bar. Okay, next. A business, a business owner. You oh, a business owner. Okay. So they're all going to be asked the same oh, question. Just like, excuse me. Like a proper HR interview, everybody has to be asked the same question. Okay, sure. Uh, that will vouch for me. Me, Gilbert Garcia. I'm a business owner. <laughs> Well, I have to say, Percy King Cruzo from Richie's Chicken. Vinny Agosto, attorney at law. Okay. Helen Coons, who is an apartment owner. Okay, we'll start position number two. Name a campaign staffer who would vouch for you. Position number two. Number two. Position number, number two. two. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, a campaign staffer. Tanya Ingram Gonzalez. <laughs> none, none other than Stephanie Brody. <laughs> Mike Moreno. Jenny Johnson. That's all in the front. Oh, he's number one. He's number one. He's retired, but Lee Brown, the first African American mayor. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, one thing I did forget. Uh, let's go ahead and stop all audience applause from now on, just to keep this thing growing a lot faster, because they're pausing when y'all clap. So, seat number three. The next question is to you. Name a member of the uh, Asian American and Pacific Islander AAPI community who would vouch for you. An AAPI member that would vouch for you. I would say Ruth, our, our very own Ruthie. Yeah. Um, don't have an answer though. Sorry. Okay, okay. Rocky Lie. Okay. I will have to say Kathy from Fort Bend. Uh, Linda Toyota. Okay, and seat number four, Robert, you're next. <laughs> and ironically, this is the question. These are the order. Uh, name a Hispanic activist who would vouch for you. Gloria Moreno. Okay. Adrian Garcia. Miss Pearl, women's rights activist. Uh, Gracie Signs. Lawrence Elise. Okay, next to you. Name an activist from a religion other than yours who would vouch for you. 
Well, it depends on my religion, right? <laughs> you don't have to divulge. You just have to say your name. We'll believe it. Um, Harsha Jackson. Okay. Her name is Gacy, but the first African American woman to get the hair for braids passed. We just have a meeting. Okay, okay no explanations. Uh, Tamara Bell. Deloitte Parker. Amen on the team. Okay, and you can send it back to the front there. <laughs> Name a black activist who will have a There are so many. I right. would have to say my good friend Charleston. Okay. Uh, Mr. Eric Carr. Candace Weber. <laughs> Colleen Tarsha Jackson. A black activist. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and name a white activist that will vouch for The Magther from the Marine Corps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lauren Burke. Mike Warren. Bill Smith. David Berg. Okay, so hopefully you've gotten a feel for who these people know. This is still this is still in the lightning round set of questions. So, uh, next question. Uh, while you are mayor, the Astros will win another World Series. <laughs> that, that's not a question. That's just a fact, statement of fact. Uh, all right. When your sports team gets to that level, the tradition is that the mayor of the opposing cities make a bet. And the losing mayor has to eat something from the winning city's uh, menagerie of, of, of foods. So you need to tell us what food you're going to send to the opposing mayor that represents Houston and where are you getting it from? What is Houston's food and where is it coming from? Y'all know I'm going to have to say some barbecue. And that is Burns Barbecue from Ada's home. Some ribs from uh, Papa's Barbecue. <laughs> My own homemade chili. <laughs> I'm going to have to say the turkey leg cut. <laughs> from where? From where? From the turkey leg. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I've got to send Mexican food from Gimmas. <laughs> All right, so that was quickly the lightning round. I think you'd get a better sense of who these people are. Let's get into some serious questions now. Uh, if you're ready, who's up next? Is that No. Oh, okay. As you remember, the city of Houston still has no equal rights ordinance that fully protects all employees at a local level. You know, in, in order for someone to file a grievance, they literally have to make a federal case out of it with the EEOC or someone like that. Um, and so the question is, what in your background leads us to believe that you're going to be the mayor with the backbone to pass an equal rights ordinance? And a nickel's worth of free advice to any of you who try this again, do not cover it up with acronyms. Don't call it hero because it's easy to say no to hero. Make the opponents say that they are against equal rights ordinances if you're going to do it. But what in your background tells us you've got the backbone to address this issue? Well. 
I've been on council now over nine years. I was under the Parker, worked with the Parker administration uh, when she had proposed HERO. Uh, during HERO, uh, she was, was gonna to apply to employers with 50 or more employees. I reached out to Mayor Parker and I said, I would like that to be for employers that have employees of 25 or more employees. So she asked me would I submit an amendment, which I did and it was passed by city council. Look at my firm, we're a living example of that, of all ethnicities, genders, and preferences. I would definitely say my background in the United States Marine Corps simplified eight years. I definitely have a background and the backbone to stand up in the face of adversity and we will get it done. Okay, and for me, uh, I'm Gilbert Garcia, the managing partner at Garcia Hamilton. And when I arrived there, we were $200 million in assets under management in 2002. Now we're $22 billion. And we are 88% owned by women and minorities, and we are 65% black and Hispanic owned. 75% of our team are women. 75% of my team are women. Uh, and 70 are black and Hispanic. If that's not really fighting the trend, I don't know what else is. Yeah. <laughs> when I started my public service journey eight years ago, I recall when the hero ordinance it was up for debate. And I recall being at, at that time what we thought was a crowded field of seven. And I remember what it felt like to be the lone voice in that race, standing up for what was right, which is access to justice for all people. And that was hero. And I, not only did I testify publicly and stand up in the face of many groups that told me it was going to cost the election, and I simply stated this, Time. if it cost me the election. Time. Okay. Time got, <laughs> okay. Next question. Let's talk about real estate for a second. So uh, institutional buyers have been coming in and uh, using computers and things like that to buy homes uh, at the lowest value and then either turning them into rental properties or flipping them, making it more difficult for Houstonians to buy their first homes. Talk to us about that. What are your feelings? Well, that depends. It also makes it easier for people to get a rental property and save some money to buy homes. So I am not in favor of programs that restrict their ability to do that. Houston right now is filled up with residents who rate 30% of renters cannot afford to pay their rent, food, pay their electricity, gas bills. So I'm going to say no. We need to have homes that are affordable where Houston rent can go down. Uh, for me, this is one of the most important issues of all because no one can afford to live in Houston anymore. Modern income housing now in Houston is defined as 275 to almost $300,000. And that's a lot of money. And one of the key areas of the city is the permitting process. If I had more time, I'd explain. It's taking way too long to get the permits to get those houses on the tax rolls. One of the most critical aspects of putting housing, affordable housing on the ground and making it accessible is having a plan for that. And that's one of the first things that I would do as mayor is to create a comprehensive plan for housing, get the get opportunities into the hands of CDCs that can make housing more accessible and more affordable. 
it's important that we do provide affordable housing. It was, it was noted on the census 2020, uh, 2020 in regards to those that are 65 years and older by 2030. There'll be more 65 year olds than there are uh, 15 and, and less. Uh, so as a council member, I've been working on affordable housing in regards to senior housing uh, to provide the housing uh, for seniors because of the increase of number of seniors in the near future that are going to be needing affordable housing. Okay, so next, let's go to flooding. And now there are several different ways we can tackle this issue. I'm going to approach it one way first and then another way in second. So the first way is to tell a little story about Lake Houston, which is Kingwood, which is the city of Houston. When Lake Houston flooded, it was because Montgomery County unilaterally decided to open the dam of Lake Conroe, and they didn't inform Harris County or the Flood Authority here or anybody. They, they just released the water on a Saturday night and Sunday morning people were flooded. Uh, and so now there is talk of putting together a regional flood authority that is more than just Harris County. But the big problem that I've heard with that is that the governor wants to appoint who's in charge of that regional board. They don't want basically Democrats in Harris County to have any say in flooding in Harris County. So although a regional flood authority would be helpful, one run by the governor probably would not. Tell us how you feel about all of that. I mean, where, how does this work? So let's start there. I'll just take my 30 seconds to tell a quick story. As a police officer, I remember Harvey putting on the uniform and going into the homes that had flooded overnight and pulling out grandparents and newborn babies. I'm going to say absolutely no, it was atrocious. And to also see human remains there, it broke my heart. We're going to have to say no. We're going to have to have our Democratic run that thing and make sure that we keep our Houstonian residents safe. Um, we don't need to create another group that's just going to be another group. We already have plenty of groups. We have the Houston Galveston Area Council, which already represents all the key regions where money that's specifically for flooding and other infrastructure improvements flows through. As it relates to the city, what's very important is we all receive now a rain tax, whatever you want to call it, flood tax. At the end of the day, we need to make sure that those tax proceeds are being used for infrastructure to prevent flooding. We deserve better in Houston. Harvey was the second worst disaster in American history and I recall while I was serving as a council member having to go out to Kingwood, having to go into the homes of our low income seniors to assist them. Since that time, five and a half years ago, so many people remain in need and one of the areas where we remain in need most is actually getting the help and the flood mitigation dollars to our city. And one of the things that has been most atrocious about our state was the zero dollar allocation to the city of Houston who experienced the second worst disaster in American history. That is unacceptable. In regards to the governor wanting to appoint those that are being on this commission, uh, as a council member, this is something that we have been work, uh, you know, addressed, trying to address. Uh, I know the mayor, Mayor Turner, uh, in regards to the state overreaching, uh, basically taking control from the city uh, in regards to issues, not just flooding, but other issues as well. Uh, so as, as at the uh, next mayor, I would do my best in working and trying to keep the governor from appointing his appointees. 
uh, uh, in, in regards to that way the city of Houston can have control on issues like that. Yes. I'm not sure I understand the question, but first, we had an oversight committee established by Mayor Parker, and that was disbanded by the mayor, so we don't even know how much work we're doing on drainage. Second, HTAC has something like 39 members. Houston, I think, has two votes, one of which is Council Member Alcorn. We can threaten to leave HTAC until we get more votes. And third, we can't really blame everybody for our flooding problem. The city missed every deadline, and then the city took us over. Okay, so let's address it from another angle. Um, the other angle is uh, has to do with the way that zoning happens in the city of Houston, and you know that that's a controversial issue, you know, whether zoning or not zoning. Attics, uh, the biggest problem that happened in attics is that neighborhoods were built on both sides of a dam. Mm -hmm. So when one side flooded, because that's how dams work, uh, they decided to open the dam and flooded the other side that was supposed to be protected. Uh, both sides got, got flooded because people don't understand how a dam works. So city council, mayor, et cetera, what, what needs to happen in terms of, well, let me just, I just told you the story. You tell me what you think of that. That's unacceptable. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That's absolutely unacceptable. Homeowners should not wake up to their homes, but I was there, I saw it. I witnesses that I brought people out of their homes. So when we're talking about a dam and the infrastructure that has not been um, replenished in the last 99 years, that is absolutely heartbreaking. And more funds are being misused or misallocated and taken away from it. We need to fix our problem, which is infrastructure and drainage. Uh, that's outrageous. My own brother's home flooded because of that, uh, the release of the water, and uh, he had water in his home for several weeks. I want to go back to HGAC. There are people uh, collecting signatures right now. If you really want to make a difference, sign that item, because Houston, we are getting those funds here primarily because of the population of Houston, but we're not getting the representation and credit that we deserve to allocate those funds. I was present when those homes were flooded, and one of the things that's critical as a leader of the city is to put people in a position that was it's better than they were before Harvey. Right now, we have not done that, and in fact, we need to put mechanisms in place where more funding becomes available to our region, but also that there is a concerted effort to make sure that we are building in ways that make sense. Right now, with respect to our building patterns, they do not support what is good practice in our city, and we're putting people at risk as a result. We must stop it. It stops with the leadership at the top. It was horrible in regards to the dams being open like that, and uh, innocent individuals that were trying to fight the Harvey, you know, were being flooded uh, by, by the waters from the dams. 
Uh, but Harris County Flood Control, I know that we voted on a bond election for uh, uh, flooding issues regarding the Harris County Flood Control. I know the Harris County Flood Control has been widening the bayous. I know the city is working on a project regarding the White Oak Bayou and Buffalo Bayou. It's the North Channel, uh, which will increase the uh, amount of water that can go down Buffalo Bayou. Uh, so these are things that we need to address along with the Harris County Flood Control in regards to widening our bayous. <laughs> Oh, sir. Reality checks. The city cannot do this without cooperation, particularly from the county. The county even restricts what we can offload into the ditches. And so having great drainage in Houston <coughs> won't do us any favors if the county restricts what we can put into the bayous. This is a problem that we have to work on together, and we probably need federal money to do it. <laughs> okay, let's take it from a third angle. The third angle is money, because there is a lot of uh, discussion about the money that's still in the pot from the federal government that hasn't been dispersed since 2017 for Harvey. So what in your experience tells us that you're going to be the mayor that's going to be able to cut through all that red tape, especially working with Abbott, uh, with the governor, to get that money so that we can actually spend it on re recovering? Absolutely, I believe we were afforded $630 million from the federal grant. Um, so one thing about it, I'm a Marine. Gavin does, Governor Abbott does not scare me. I work with logistics and EOBX, both supporting device. I did the budgeting. I made sure that every Marine had the equipment to do what was needed. And that is what I'm going to do for the residents in Houston. I'm going to make sure that you have every tool to be successful in your home, in your business, and whatever you want to do in Houston. Uh, the best way is to give an example. When Mayor Parker appointed me chairman of Metro, we all know the challenges around Metro. But one of the things is the previous Metro board had dug up all the streets to prepare for light rail and they had not secured the federal funds from the government. And we in fact found out that they had violated their own procurement laws. We could have be a bold intent, but no, what did we do? We brought the FDA inside Metro and everyone said, Mr. Chairman, we can't do that. It's never been done that way. And I said, that's probably why it needs to be done that way. We brought it in, we got the full funding grant agreement and we added 50 miles of light rail on time and under budget from there. Yeah. Disaster recovery in our country is not working for people. And when you think about these roles of service, you gotta think about the people first. And right now, we're thinking about everything but them. We think about fraud and abuse. We think about how to deny coverage. We think about how to say no versus yes. We have to design a system that works on every level, federal, state, local, whereby you actually have rules in place that are transparent and accessible to the public. We have to be a conduit through which real change can flow. And my job as your next mayor is to make sure at every level we advocate and give you the resources you deserve. As we always work with uh, Judge Lena Ginaldo to make sure that we uh, uh, do, do everything possible that we can in regards to the state. Initially, the, uh, the region, the Houston the region was not gonna get $1 from the federal money uh, that was coming in after Harvey. 
uh, and that's where the uh, Houston Galveston Area Council comes in. Uh, that's where we need more vote, more votes there on that council. Uh, so that way we can uh, have a stronger voice to make sure that we do get funding, funding uh, when disasters like that happen here in our region. We can't just appoint loyalists. And if I would fault the current administration, they appointed loyalists to try to get Harvey Mundell instead of the controller's recommendation to go to the people who had done Superstorm Sandy and gotten all that money from the feds. We didn't do that. And so now, although everyone blames the state, they took advantage of our failure to meet every deadline. And we've got to appoint competent people. We can't let our egos and our demand for loyalty get in the way of doing things right. <coughs> Okay, so let's lighten the mood for just a second and do a little personality test. If y'all are ready. Other than your neighborhood where you live or work, what neighborhood do you hang out the most in in Houston and where's the go-to place in that neighborhood? I would have to say the north side and the go-to place for me is my church. I love it. <laughs> Uh, I would say uh, uh, Ragewood Heights, which is right next to our neighborhood, and the go-to place is the park there, uh, Carl Young Park, because that's where we've done all kinds of uh, soccer throughout the years, and I've coached 40 seasons of youth soccer over the years, and uh, we have a great time and great memories. I would say one neighborhood I love to visit and be part of is the Third Ward area, and one of the key jewels in our city is Emancipation Park, Point Maine. <laughs> the Spanish flower in the north side. <laughs> Third Ward, 3100 block of Southmore, that's where Troop 212 is located at the church, and I spend a lot of time with those young men. These are unlike politicians I've ever heard of. They didn't take the whole 30 seconds to talk about how much fun they have part of the city. So I'm going to give them one more chance. Uh, continued personality test. Let's find out a little bit more about you. Okay, so uh, let's, let's take it from this angle. What is your primary hobby, the thing that you would gloat about the most. What hobby do you have and where do you practice that hobby here in Houston? I would have to say I'm very good at showboat about being a Marine at the VA hospital. You know, when it comes to the Army, they think they're better, but everyone knows the Marines are so much better. So I've spent my free time at the Spine Corps Injury Unit haggling veterans about who's better in the service. <laughs> Well, I have great material in my wife right there, Dee Dee. But no, in reality, the number one thing I love doing is anything with my kids. And over the years, I have been both the cult dressing up as a horse at the school mascot. I have been the announcer at all the Greater Houston Catholic Athletic Association track meets. I have coached 40 seasons of soccer. I've coached basketball. Anything with my kids, I want to do. 
Well, one of the things I enjoy doing now is working out, but I will tell you a little known secret, which is that I used to play basketball with an Eisenhower Lady Eagles at <laughs> Eisenhower. So uh, I will say every once in a while we'll pick up a basketball, and of course we used to enjoy as a city council member playing against the mayor's office, and we won. <laughs> Reactions. What I enjoy doing when I have the time, uh, two things, working out at the downtown Y and also walking my dogs uh, at the historic Gus Worthen Golf Course and also at uh, the beautiful Mason Park. Since my son has left town, he works in the Billable and the Gates Foundation. I can't tell him what to do very easily because he <laughs> I would say my walking group every Saturday and Sunday, four or five miles. It is tough love. <laughs> now, this wouldn't be a proper HR interview if you didn't get the cliche question. Are you ready for it? Ready. What is your greatest weakness? <laughs> My greatest weakness is smiling. I would smile in a heartbeat in the Marine Corps. They used to tell me, cover up those chicklets. And so, um, I guess my grandmother got on me as well. Even as a police officer, I had a hard time just walking in with a smile on my face. And I have to remember to call them. This is not the time to smile. Robin, this is not the time to smile. <laughs> Robin, this is not the time to smile. No, stop. Food. I love food. And I love Mexican food. It probably shows. I've been trying to lose weight for a long time, and I so wish I had more hair, and I, I dream about it all the time, but I love Mexican food. Uh, my greatest weakness and great joy and part of great joy is ice cream. I can't help it. I love it. I look for it. I'm a connoisseur for it. So if you have gelato or ice cream, I'm coming your way. <laughs> my greatest weakness is eating, trying new restaurants. But then again, that's why I work out and that's why I walk my dog. <laughs> I'll leave this for my wife who thinks that the only good thing about me running for mayor is if I win, an officer will drive me to and from work. She thinks that will increase public safety. <laughs> Pass the mic now, so it starts with the next person. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now let's get back to a few more issues. We have a little light personality there, so we can find out who y'all are. Uh, and actually, for this one, uh, are we ready to uh, play that little clip? Uh, we're gonna play a little clip. If y'all want to turn around and look at this clip. Uh, it's just a it's just a ten second clip, but uh, ten seconds. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's no no audio. It's just the, the visual of it. I don't know if we can turn off the front lights. I'm going to tell you where this clip happened. It was on Fannin, underneath the Highway 59 bridge on the way to the medical center. That's setting the scene for you. And I took this footage last week. <laughs> Clear. 
clearly it was late at night. It's got to warm up, but we'll, we'll be able to see it a little bit better in a minute. That's the clip right there. That's the, the point of the clip. So let's let's ask you a question about that. But everybody, go ahead. Thank you, Steve. Do you have any questions? Uh, yeah, I'm going to ask you a question. Hang on one second. Let, let everybody get situated again. <laughs> so I had the privilege of living in D.C. for 23 years, and up in the Northeast, most of the cities have, you know, metro subways. Um, and one of the defining factors of those cities is that their subway systems, their metro systems, do not cross public roads at all. Uh, and I will tell you, when I first came to Rice University back in 2016-2017, a professor who's a friend of mine was crossing at the Rice University stop and was hit and killed. Uh, there's still the white bicycle that's chained that, that tree. I knew that person. Um, and it was a shock to me because I moved here from D.C. Like I said, I, I didn't even think that people would be crossing, you know, flight rail tracks. Um, so I know that there's a bit of a sunk cost effect. And in business, the sunk cost effect is when you put so many resources, time, effort, money into a project that you don't want it to fail. And you can't back down from it, even if it's costing in other ways. So my question is, is there a sunk cost effect going on here with light rail in Houston? Uh, is there a better way that we could do public transportation? Chicago has the L, the elevated track uh, above. Uh, like I told you, uh, Boston, New York, Washington, all those places have uh, ways of doing it where it doesn't cross roads. Uh, and I'm just imagining how light rail is going to work from downtown to Intercontinental Airport, for example. I mean, all the big cities, the big modern cities in America, connect all their airports and, and connect them to the downtown areas. Business people come to Houston and they only see Intercontinental and Kingwood in that area because uh, an Uber ride downtown is $75 one way. And if you were on a subway, uh, if you know Washington DC, out in Virginia, 25 miles out of Dulles Airport, you can now go from Dulles Airport to downtown DC for five bucks on the subway. So, Either I don't know if the exact right wording of the question is when are we going to become a modern city, or you know what in your background tells us that uh, you're going to help us become a modern city. But it's funny that you're the first person. It's to talk funny. About this. Uh, a couple. Of, there, there's no way I can answer that question in one minute because there's I, so I, much. I say what, there is. Let's, let's give you, there's so much to this. Let's give you a whole minute. And I happen to know these things, right? So number one, you can't get to Bush Airport unless it's heavy rail. That's you just cannot. Number one. Number two, when you look at light rail, it's much more than light rail. 
Uh, you're redoing the entire streets, sidewalks, you're doing all the flood control. You're doing many more investments than just, I see this rail. But number three, the light rail system that we have here in Houston is the most highest ridership of light rail networks in America. And all you gotta do for your own anecdotal evidence, if anybody goes to Final Four, if the football games, the basketball games, the rodeo, you couldn't get there without that rail. You couldn't get there. But here's the real question and the thrust of the question. Why are we not better? Well, you doggone right we're not better. And here's the thing. All you got to do is go back in history, and it was Mayor Bob Lanier who took one quarter of the revenue stream that was dedicated for Metro and took it away and put it into the city, the multi-cities, and Harris County. That's what happened. And that diverted over $3 billion that could not go to transit. And keep in mind, at that Sorry. time, the federal government would match us three to one. And now it's only one to one. Uh, we're giving each of you one full minute Sorry. to answer this question. Go ahead. I've served as a member of the Transportation Policy Council as part of the HGAC over the eight county region for our area. This entity is an entity where transportation dollars flow, decisions are made, and one thing I learned in my service was that we have an issue coming up, and that is an issue of the size of 4.2 million people coming into our eight county region in the next 20 years. Did y'all know that? And we are not preparing ourselves in this community to absorb that type of growth. What we need is multimodal transportation options that will get you to and from your workplace, to your home, place of education, to your business, but also that will connect places that are optional as well. We need connectivity, elevated connectivity of high capacity transit. I ran the high capacity transit task force when I was on TBC. We need to connect people on an optional basis as well. I, I work for uh, former county commissioner Sylvia Garcia and I was, I was her liaison for Metro and, and Metro mi missed out on a perfect opportunity. At one time during the, uh, the, the uh, uh, community meetings in regards to an extension of the red line, uh, which was the first uh, light rail line, uh, they were looking at possibly the uh, old post office, which now is the Houston Post. Uh, that, that would possibly be an intermodal uh, connection uh, where you would have Greyhound, you would have the t at that time it was taxis, now you don't have any taxis, but taxis, Greyhound, uh, you would have uh, back, back there you have Amtrak, uh, you have two rail lines and if you go on Google the, those two rail lines you'll see one of them goes to Woodlands, one of them goes to Kingwood. That, that could have been commuter rail coming to the former downtown post office which now is the Houston Post. I've spoken with Frank Liu, the developer of the Houston Post, and I said, you know, there's still a possibility that we can hopefully do something in regards to Metro for uh, uh, bus route Metro. Sorry, there are too many true believers. The buses in the gallery are the best example of that. The first thing Metro should have done was have rail to the airport. It still doesn't. Nobody has told me why. The mayor appoints five out of nine people to the Metro board. And the first thing has to be, how do we move people who don't have transportation to places where they can get transportation? All the rest is just feel good stuff. And we need to concentrate on getting people to their jobs. And the rest of it, maybe the airport, but that would be the second priority. All the rest is wasted money. Yeah. Uh -huh.
So when I looked at the video, I had to put on my police goggles, and the first thing that I saw was EMS was stopped behind the rail and the red lights on. That means it's an emergency. Like a 911 call, it could have been a shooting, anything, a heart attack, anything, and the rail was stopped, and they could not get there in a timely manner. We know it takes approximately 60 minutes or Houston Fire Department slash EMS police to respond to a call. That's a no-no. Number two, I was born on the south side of Chicago, so I'm very familiar with the bus routes, train routes. Why not take our real our rails and put them in the sky? Like Metro in Chicago. They're in the sky, they're all above the ground. It stops impeded traffic. It stops the vehicle emissions, all of the greenhouse gases. It goes on and on. Let's lift them up, let's get it elevated. We can be better than Chicago, New York, and LA. Can I have more of that? I, I think I have more of that. You, you already talked about that. I just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all teach a graduate school course on this particular topic. Okay, so this is another transportation question that, that irks me personally. Uh, you know, up in the Northeast, all the major cities are, are linked. You can jump on the train. Yeah and get to Atlantic City or Philadelphia or New York, Boston, whatever. <laughs> What's happening between Dallas and Houston and Austin and Santa? Why are we late? Did you do this question? Did you give me this question on purpose? Um, <laughs> listen, guys, I've just talked about the fact that we're adding 4.2 million people into our region. The Houston area needs to be able to have connectivity, not just within itself, and but it also needs to be able to connect to and from other cities as well. I think it was a huge, huge loss for our community not to have the Texas Central Project continue on. The connectivity, a 90-minute commute between Dallas and Houston would have done a wonderful service to people who are trying to get to and from those major business centers in the state of Texas. I think we have to look for ways to promote connectivity, not just in our city, not just in our community regionally, but also in time. our state. And I gave her 45 seconds, so I'm going to give you all 45 seconds on this one. Yes, uh, in regards to the Northeast, uh, you have uh, industrial rail that allows commuter rail to use their tracks. Uh, for some odd reason, down here in Houston, you don't know, you don't, you, uh, you have the industrial uh, rail in regards to Union Pacific, uh, Burlington Northern, uh, that don't allow commuter commuter rail on their tracks. Uh, that falls under the federal government. Therefore, we need to have our congressional delegation here in the Houston region uh, to fight and ask why uh, uh, Burlington Northern, why Union Pacific does not allow commuter rail. For example, you have the Hardy Toll Road. You have two tracks going down in the center of, of, of Hardy, uh, but yet you don't have commuter rail. You can have commuter rail from downtown Houston that will go well, that will take you all the way to Intercontinental Airport, but the railroads don't allow that. Briefly, the mayor can't fix that in anything less than 20 years. So I'd say take Southwest, Bob Lane, and don't worry so much about being in Dallas and San Antonio. <laughs>
There I am here showing those chicklets in Hansborough Road track braces. Um, went over here, Robin Williams to me. But traffic, traffic, traffic is all I hear. Traffic, traffic, accidents. Houston ranks number one in the United States for accident connectivity. If we have that real 90 minutes, we're gonna alleviate the over excessive amount of time we spend in traffic. Please don't let it rain in Houston. You might as well add an hour. So we have to remember traffic, 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 accident, let's get the connectivity done so that people can be able to travel like modern cities. Okay, first, the reason we don't go to the airports is because the ridership is poor to airports. That's what happens all across America. And in fact, at one time, we had an express bus service straight to the airports and nobody rode it and it was very, very cheap. It's because it's never been popular in any city in America to go to airports. The second thing on Uptown, remember, uh, that bring, that uh, uptown line, that was an uptown project. That was not a metro project. Metro does the uh, bus, we have the, um, we have the bus drivers, but they constructed it, they bought the property, that was an uptown project. Now, just another thing, why is the ridership not good there? Because the system is not complete, right? Remember, the whole system had everything downtown, uptown over here, and a connection across the city. And it's not complete, and we need to complete it as soon as possible. <laughs> okay, along those lines, one of the reasons we're talking about trying to connect with rail like that to Dallas is because there's an insinuation that the only way to get there is by car, and because of that, we're talking about expanding I-45. Uh, so talk to us about what, where are our priorities? Are we expanding the roads? Are we doing these other types of infrastructure projects? And by the way, when we're expanding the roads, are we being conscious of the people who live there now uh, who don't want to be either gentrified or other types of things that are happening when you, when you split um, communities with highways? So unfortunately, I, I can only give you 30 seconds on these. But go ahead. I-45, just talk to us about I-45. So the I-45 uh, uh, expansion, of course, you had the county uh, that uh, filed a lawsuit against TxDOT uh, due to the fact that it was impacting communities along 45, which were impacting communities of color. Uh, so uh, hopefully that has been resolved, but uh, you've got the county, you've got the city that's looking at that. I know Mayor Turner was on top of that as well. Uh, in regards to 45 expansion, again, going back to the former downtown post office, which is, which is now the Houston Post, uh, if, if we can work with the developer, you can have a BRT that goes from there onto I-45 and then go all the way out to Edgecier. I know it's tough to answer in 30 seconds. The project will go through. I-45 is incredibly dangerous right now. Even the mayor believes that the uh, project has made all the compromises possible for the neighborhoods. So my sympathies are with the neighborhoods, but fewer people will be killed on I-45 if this project goes through. If we expand the road I-45, let's think about mom and pop homes. Those communities that fought so hard to be there, 
We cannot just take a road and strip it through somebody's neighborhood and just say, hey, deal with it, traffic will be better. You're taking away from someone who saved every dime they had to pass down a home to the next generation. We cannot do that. That is unacceptable. Uh, I did not support the commuter rail between Dallas and Houston. I'll tell you why. Because the ridership would not have been there. Why? Because it went from downtown Dallas. It did not come into downtown Houston. It was going to go right there at 290, uh, the junction with 610. And that would have required Metro to try to figure out how to bring them downtown, which would have led to another transfer. And that's when you drop off people. It would have never had the ridership, and it probably would have been a big bailout somewhere down the road. With respect to the I-45 project, one of the things that we have to think about when we're thinking about use of state dollars is that those state dollars become expanded for multimodal transit options. Right now in our state, we've put $2.5 billion into I-10 expansion, which then got back in the top 10 most congested freeways in seven years' time. The same thing is happening with I-45. That's a $10 billion project that's not taking into full consideration the needs and interests of the community. We we have got to make sure that we take into pro into account the projects That's that fine. are needed, but also reflect the community voices as well. Okay, if my team can bring an index card to each of the candidates, we're going to move in another direction. I'm nearing the end of my hour. I know it's gone by pretty fast. Uh, and then as soon as we finish this question, we will go to audience questions that have been sent to me again on my iPad by the team over there. I got it. Make sure they have something to write with. Yeah. This is called a straw poll. What I want each of the candidates to do, and uh, keep in mind that there are two other candidates that we'll talk about later, but uh, that are in this race also. They could not be here tonight. Uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee and State Senator John Whitmire. Uh, they're both. I'll say something later about that. But they are in the race, so there's seven of you uh, candidates who have announced. What I want you to do right now is write down two names. You cannot write down your name. It's going to be tabulated, and before we leave tonight, I'm going to announce the results of who got the most votes. Uh, so just write down two names of the people that you think should be the next mayor. You cannot write down your name. We're, our, our people are going to pick up the index cards and verify that you did not write your name. <laughs> so it's not a ranked choice kind of thing. You just write down two names. We'll tab it up. The most the most votes a person could get technically would be five votes because each of you here can only vote for that name once. Team, have y'all already come pick up the index card? Write two names. Write down two names. Four votes. Correct. You're correct. I I'm a product of the Texas math system. Did <laughs> <laughs> you ready to turn in your names? Okay. Now I have to admit something to the audience that I've never admitted before. Uh, I have to wear reading glasses. <laughs> okay, let me read the, the questions from the uh, from the floor. Uh, in no particular order, but the, the way they sent them to me. Uh, and we're starting with uh, Robert. 
You had the last one. There we go. 30 seconds to answer. Okay. Uh, considering the attacks uh, Republicans pushed on Democratic judges in the 2022 cycle, how do you characterize the response from the party? What needs to be done uh, to protect future winning judges? And hang on, let me let me skip that one uh, because that is a partisan uh, discussion that we're not going to necessarily jump into right now. I'm going to go backwards here. How can we address issues of human trafficking? And uh, how can we put it into it? Human trafficking. Go ahead. You have 30 seconds. It requires more police officers. We have half as many officers per capita in Chicago and New York. Half as many. We need officers who are trained, who are uh, sensitive to the needs of the community, but we need more of them. That's the first line. And without that, and without more efficiencies, civilianizing more aspects of police procedures, which was recommended in 19, I'm sorry, 2017, we're stuck. That's time. Did anybody not hear me? As a police officer, I know firsthand about human trafficking and what lurks in the dark corners and what lurks in Houston. And as a member of my campaign staff, her daughter was a victim of human trafficking. But what we need to do is bring the parents and the police officers together and tell parents about what what lurks in the dark. It's the internet. Um, You have an eight-year-old that has a phone. It's a true story, a phone. She's texting, she's sharing Snapchat. She has no idea that she's sharing her location. Obviously, human trafficking is a terrible issue. I have a radio show that I've had two sex trafficking survivors speak both times, uh, and it's extraordinary to hear their stories. I think one of the things that goes through is there's got to be more support for the victims, because right now there isn't enough support for them through any of the social system channels. And they need more support so they can understand that uh, it's their bodies and that they there is a different choice that they can make. Human trafficking is uh, going to require a collective response. And part of that collective response is making sure that there is a heightened sense of awareness of what are the signs of trafficking. What's the difference between what's happening with labor trafficking? What's happening with sex trafficking? When the when we had we hosted uh, the NFL Super Bowl, that was one effort where we put all hands on deck to try to combat and stamp out the human trafficking issue. But we've got to have that same force and energy year round, year after year, whether there's a special event or not. That's what's going to be required for us as an international city to stamp out human trafficking in our time. Unfortunately, Houston is a main corridor for human trafficking due, due to the fact that I-10 goes from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast and comes down to the city of Houston. Uh, I'm proud that along with my colleague, we voted uh, a city ordinance in regards to uh, motels, uh, where the motel owners have to train their employees uh, to identify human trafficking uh, individuals that might be staying at these motels. Uh, also, uh, I've uh, mentioned to Mayor Parker and also Mayor Turner, uh, different departments. We need to train different departments, like Public Works, for example, uh, when they're out there in the field, uh, so that way they can identify if something doesn't look right time. Uh, and possibly could be human trafficking. Sorry. 
Now, these are audience questions, so they're not written in the format that I use. These are asking for campaign promises, so I'm just making you aware. Uh, they're asking you to tell us what you're going to do once you're mayor. So just, just so you know, these are not my questions, but they're very good questions. Okay. So, uh, on this one. Texas and Houston, in particular, are leaders in the oil and gas industry. How will you make Houston the green energy capital of the world? When I tell you this, I told my police friends that we need to go green. They tore me up, but seriously, our buses need to go green. We need to go electric. We have to go electric to come back. I think one of the best ways is we've got to work with our existing energy companies and work with them as they transition to go green. We've got to maintain the jobs. We've got to maintain the progress. The city, obviously, with its own footprint, together with all the other city entities, whether it's Metro, whether it's a port or anything else, have a big say in what they do, and they should increase their green footprint as well. One of the things I think is imperative is that under this next administration, we have to compete to become America's future. Not just by way of demographics and the, uh, the diversity of our city, but also the way in which we run and operate our city. One of the things that we have to do is put innovation as a primary priority for our city, and that includes innovation in the energy economy as well. There is absolutely no reason that we can't be the energy capital of the world of the past, the present, and the future. And it's time for us to evolve and make sure that we are part of leading the way in the energy transition. The city of Houston, by 2030, we're supposed to be transitioning into uh, more EV vehicles. And uh, I know a lot of our fleet already have our EV vehicles, electric vehicles. Uh, as a matter of fact, on the agenda today, we voted for uh, charging stations that will be placed in clubs around the city of Houston. I've actually done patent litigation and represented companies as large as ExxonMobil and individual inventors. And it's all about a spark of genius and the profit motive that will create that transition. The mayor can only inspire it and have a bully pulpit. And I think the companies are doing that already and the mayor should pray and respond to development. Next question. What are your plans to protect marginalized communities from right-wing attacks? Marginalized communities here in Houston, what are your plans to protect them? We have to protect the very foundation, like Sunnyside, Southside. It was created and it was established by African-American male right after the Civil Rights War. So we want to make sure that we protect the very community. That is one of the oldest communities in Houston, Texas. We have to we have to protect our history and so that when new people come in, they get to see what we've done and what we have preserved. It's up to all of us to call it out when we see something. Like the great Congressman John Lewis, when he said, if you see something that's not right, not just, you have to say something. You've got to speak out. And I can tell you, at our firm, we were meeting with folks, and you know what they said? That they would never hire or work with our firm because we did not have enough white male partners at our firm. Wow. Yeah, and I could have walked away and said it, but no, I wrote a letter to their chairman, and I've been talking about it everywhere I go. That's what you have to do. You have to speak out. I think our community has to be judged by the way we treat and respect our most vulnerable. 
And one of those areas includes those people in our communities, low income, especially our low income seniors that still suffer in the face of the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey five and a half years later, and who continue to be a political football in a game of politics. We cannot allow our citizens, our residents, to be games in part of a political game. Rather, we have to stand up for them and make sure they get access to resources, justice, and a course, make sure our policy works for everyone. This week we voted on the conservation districts and that's uh, a, uh, an incentive in regards to protecting neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods of color uh, that are losing their heritage, losing their culture, losing the, uh, the identity of their neighborhoods. Uh, with the conservation districts, and this is something that uh, I, I had to actually fight in regards to some of my conservative colleagues who did not want the conservation districts. Uh, but again, many neighborhoods within Loop 610 are losing their heritage and losing the identity of their neighborhoods. Well, I think about marginalized people. We have to arrest and shame people who do anything other than appropriate conduct. <laughs> So we're starting, we're starting with next. Yeah, okay. So homeless people in Houston uh, have been treated differently by different administrations. And uh, what is your administration going to do with or about the homeless problem? Issues. I am huge on homeless personnel. Homeless personnel should be referred to as champions. They champion the heat, the rain, the cold. My mother suffered from homelessness. I will guarantee you, we're not allowed to make promises as politicians, but I promise those 3,000 homeless personnel, we will get to the bottom of it. Uh, there are so many issues around it. I think the key is you got to do it in a humane way. And one of the things I would not do is arrest people for giving them food or other things that just do not sound humanitarian to me. Because all you got to do is say, what would Jesus do, right? One of the key pieces of addressing the issue of homelessness is that we prioritize housing people first. That keeps them safe, that keeps the public safe, but most importantly, we also need to make sure that we're putting into place case management for those folks. A lot of folks are being preyed upon to become addicted to different substances. They are being victims of becoming victims of crime. We've got to case manage and do the, increase our sweet teams, which actually do work very well, but we just need more of them to get people the help they need. Mayor Parker and Mayor Turner have done an, extent, an outstanding job in regards to addressing the homeless issues, and I want to continue that as mayor. I know that we just recently opened the Navigation Center. Uh, uh, the Coalition for the Homeless basically goes out and speaks to homeless individuals uh, to encourage them to go to the Navigation Center, so that way they can actually have a safe place until permanent housing is found. Uh, and, and that has been working. I mean, Houston is, is, is a model compared to other cities in regards to dealing with the uh, homeless. I got a crash course on this from Mike Nichols, who went from being head of Cisco to organizing eight different homeless groups into the Houston Coalition for the Homeless. 
We have to have housing. That's not enough. Transport to a job. Jobs. Clothing. Counseling to teach people how to work. And for those who really can because of mental illness, recognizing that problem and diversion. This is labor intensive. We can't wish the problem away. Everything we do has to be done right. It is labor intensive work. And that's why I admire Mike Nichols so much. Just a half day, I learned how big time Okay, how will you work with labor unions and unions uh, to fix the pension fund issues of the city and uh, going forward? Sure. Uh, first, I have served on two pension boards uh, almost 20 years. I understand the issue very well. And right now, our firm manages almost $22 billion for various hundreds of thousands of firefighters, police, so we understand those issues. And sometimes the math works, and sometimes it doesn't. And when I was chairman of Metro, we had to close one of our pension plans because it didn't work. But we found, didn't work means mathematically it was not sustainable. But we found a way to work with the union to get them other things uh, in lieu of that. And that's why we had labor peace for the first time during my tenure as Metro chairman. So at the end of the day, I'm very well equipped. Our firm manages $22 billion, which is about four to five times the size of the city's budget. We can get it done. When I first ran for city council at large, we were facing an unfunded pension liability of $8.2 billion. Uh, Mayor Turner led an effort to uh, implement what's called the Houston Pension Solution, what has now created a, a, pension, a series of pension reforms that have allowed our police pensions, our municipal pensions, to now be, be remain solvent. They were heading towards insolvency. What we've also done, in addition to that has made some reductions. What we have to Mayor Turner has done an outstanding job in regards to addressing the pension issues. Uh, you know, he, he actually took this to Austin and uh, changed policy, and uh, we're on the right track. And within thirty by thirty within thirty years, uh, the uh, pension issues within our city that we, we had will, will, will be solved. Well, we have one union which has won a case in part in the Texas Supreme Court, and we are not facing reality if we don't admit that may be a $400 million problem. Three mayors who are not anti-union by any means haven't solved the problem. I think we're going to just have to let the process pay out, play out, and see what happens, because they are bound and determined and implacable in their views about what the city has to do. As a police officer and working side by side with firefighters, let's be honest, we have individuals working that cannot retire. I know a police officer that's 63 years old, he cannot retire due to the pension. We have to be honest. It's not working. We have to bring people in that allow the very men and women that serve and protect you to retire and live a good life because it is harsh out there. We face things that I wouldn't wish on any of my residents at your future mayor of Houston, Texas. First, the three pensions are all in different states. 
and you have to recognize that. The one that is in particular dire strait is Houston Municipal Employees. There is no way that that will be solved within 30 years as projected. Uh, absolutely not. In fact, it is barely sustainable now. And ultimately, the only reason it looks like it might be a little sustainable is because almost half their assets are not marked to market because there are alternative assets. And so it's in a much more difficult shape, and we're going to be revisiting that issue in this mayoral term. Yeah. Okay, and one last audience question before we get to our wrap up with each of your speeches. And it has to do with gun violence. And uh, as mayor, what will you do about gun violence in Houston? One of the chief priorities of mayor is to make sure that we keep our residents safe. Right now, we are living in times where our state has promulgated laws that make it easy for anyone to access a gun, regardless of mental health issues, and regardless of issues and challenges around red flag issues that we should be identifying. And we've got to make sure that we advocate for better policies on the federal and, and state level, but also that as a local level, we keep our community safe by making sure there's a presence in our community of our police. Community policing is one way to do that. Many are blaming the city of Houston in regards to gun violence when the control isn't at the state in regards to allowing anyone to carry a gun uh, with no training and no permitting. So that's something as mayor I would work on uh, to make sure that we work with the state to try to change those laws that make no sense in regards to uh, easy access to guns. Yeah, I'm sorry that Greg Abbott is the way he is. He was once a good district judge. But let's face it, the state is the biggest problem. The second thing is what the city can do is more cops. Visibility is about the only thing that we can really count on. We need to arrest people, jail them, and hopefully convict them for gun violations. That's the best we can do. That's my reality, Jim. As a police officer, the minute Governor Abbott took away the permit CHL concealed handgun license, 18-year-olds did not even know how to operate a handgun. They thought it was Call of Duty. So when you have police officers and police command and police presence is there. You can't smell a gun. Let's be honest. You can drive a car. You will not know a gun is inside of the vehicle. So we have to do something so, so much more, which is being vigilant and listening to the residents of the neighborhood. Uh, my grandfather was a Marine, and what he taught all of us when we were young was gun safety. We made he made all of us go through gun safety training. So one of the things, my view, is we should spend a lot more time on gun safety, and rather than purchasing guns off the street, we probably would be better off uh, giving them little safes so their safe can be locked. We just saw a killing in the paper recently where there was no lock on that safe. So that is all begins with gun safety, and that would be a better use of our resources. Okay, so we've come to the time when uh, we're going to have them each give a two-minute final speech. And uh, the way we're going to do this is the other two people that didn't show up, uh, we're going to let their videos play first. And then that way the live uh, members here can have the last word. And uh, let me tell you what happened with the other two people. They were invited with plenty of time, and we were, had to go into negotiations with their campaign teams. 
I'm not even sure if either of the candidates know much about what happened, but their campaign teams decided that they were not ready for a live debate yet. Uh, and I'm saying that with all sincerity. I gave them the opportunity to do a live Zoom with me where I would ask them questions so they don't have to appear. I know that they're busy in Austin and DC and doing other things. I get it. And I was willing to do a live Zoom with them and ask them just two questions. Just two questions just so that symbolically they would be here having answered questions that they didn't know ahead of time. One of the teams, and I'm not gonna tell you which, but one of the teams would not do it because they didn't get the questions ahead of time. So uh, I'm just telling you now that you know this is gonna be a big campaign season who you think might be the obvious winners and losers may not be. You have five candidates that were willing to show up, uh, knowing the kinds of questions that I asked. They answered, and I think that was that I ask. And so um, with that in mind, to be fair, they did send in uh, videos and we will give them uh, their video. If we can turn off the lights uh, in the front again. And we've got to yeah, pass the microphone. I think you have to use this microphone. That's all she wrote. This is the cord that's caught. Yep, I'm sorry. Hello, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lane. Greetings to the Bio Blue Democrats. Thank you so very much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you this evening. Thank you so very much again for your commitment to green space uh, and providing your support for more parks in our city. As I look to the opportunities of the future and look to the opportunities for presenting myself to the people of this city, my commitment is to be an open city. The representation that I hope to give is one of listening and listening and representing all the people. Again, thank you for working on our parks. I will be a strong supporter of that. And as well, I am very much a believer that as we open this city, we must ensure that there is plenty of affordable housing and make sure uh, that those rents are ready to receive the surge of young new persons coming into our community, innovative people waiting to be part of an innovative, surging, bright new city. And I, of course, uh, believe uh, that we should certainly promise people that they can be safe Let's do some things, including resources and working on crime labs to take care of backlogs uh, that may occur, and many other things that I hope to discuss uh, post my launch into this candidacy uh, and to this race. But I am grateful to you for recognizing that we must work together. And many of you know I've worked with you on flood mitigation, providing millions of federal dollars and million more dollars to come uh, with the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which I helped to negotiate. There are resources that we can utilize. This is innovation, uh, it is surging technology, and it is bringing people together. I want to make sure that we do that and that we focus on the questions that people ask and the needs that people have. 
Now, city has many, many elements. It has the element of lifting it up, making it a destination site, but it also has a very practical of making sure the garbage is picked up, that we stop the dumping, and of course, uh, that we make sure that we have a budget and that we have a working city government. Please count on me to do that as a senior member of the budget committee. And I started out by saying, I look forward to listening to people because we can be the city that surges as a destination city because we can do it together. Thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity to be able to speak this evening. And thank you for listening out for my launching of the mayoral campaign. Remember, Sheila for Houston. Sheila gets results. Thank you so very much. About a year and a half ago, I was asked my constituents, would I consider coming back to Houston and using my experience of accomplishments on behalf of the citizens of Houston? After much thought, prayer, and talking to my family, I'm running to make a difference. I have a record of accomplishment, probably more though, so than anyone in the race, because I've passed legislation to improve democratic lives, and we must unite across this city and look out for those less fortunate than us. We can do better if there's a homeless population. We can certainly attack illegal dumping and traffic control, better mobility. But in public safety, it doesn't mean just necessarily more police officers. I have a record of grand jury reform. Before my legislation, grand juries were a pick a pal by the judge. It was very structured to favor the prosecution. I passed legislation to make random selection of grand juries much more diverse and representing our communities. Huge public safety issue. In addition, help women that are incarcerated that have their babies maintain that relationship. If you go to Northeast Houston, because of legislation I passed, we have inmates, female inmates serving time with their young babies. Economic development. I just recently passed legislation in the Senate to create an entertainment district, which will create jobs and retail shops all through east of downtown. So let me use my experience on behalf of East Dunnets. I know I can get the job done. I have one of accomplishment, improving. I've passed hundreds of bills that have improved the lives of East Dunnets, and I want to do that going forward. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. And this bring Houstonians together for the future of our children and grandchildren. Thank you. Okay, so for, to make your final statements, uh, I'm going to give you the, uh, the option of getting a little visual for your campaign. If you want to come stand behind the podium to give your speech, uh, you're welcome to do that. And so, Amanda, we start with you. You can use this microphone and come to the podium. Oh, or you okay. could, either way. Yeah. I can actually just stand right here. Okay. Y'all can hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. My name is Amanda Edwards, and I'm a proud native Houstonian, former city council member at large, and municipal finance attorney, now running to be the next mayor of the city of Houston. And the reason I'm running is simple. I believe the city of Houston is at a crossroads, and we have one of two choices we can make. 
One can involve us moving backwards, but I have a feeling that those of you in this room will make a different choice, which is to move our city forward in a way that is bold and innovative and creates a Houston where every single person, no matter what their background and what their neighborhood, has an opportunity not just to live here in Houston, but to thrive here in Houston. And that's why we need a mayor who has the experience to tackle the challenges that are complicated in our city, ranging from infrastructure and crime but also our municipal challenges, our financial challenges, but also someone who can compete to make sure Houston wins and becomes America's future. We have got to have a forward-looking, aspirational run for mayor, and that's why this campaign can't be about just us. It has to be all about all of you and the result that you deserve in your communities. Thank you again, Amanda Edwards, running to be your next mayor. Good evening. First of all, thank you to Bayou Blue Democrats and IBEW for hosting us here this evening. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Robert Gallegos, council member. Uh, I'm uh, the son of uh, immigrants. My parents arrived from Mexico as teenagers back in the 1920s to the East End. Uh, they raised seven children. I'm the youngest of the seven. Uh, let's talk about experience. I've been out as a community uh, uh, advocate uh, for 30 plus years, president of my civic club for 15 years, president and founder of the Eastwood Lawndale Super Neighborhood, organized the East End Civic Club for the East End Rail Subcommittee. We fought Metro when Metro was trying to build a 10 block overpass on Harrisburg. Uh, now, in regards to working for two mayors, Mayor Parker, Mayor Turner, uh, I've been a council member now for 10 plus years. I have over nine years of experience. The city has financial problems. Uh, what I am proud of doing as a council member is that I bring different entities together. We brought the Houston Golf Association together uh, with the city of Houston. They were able to refurbish the 18-hole historic Gus Wortham golf course. Uh, the city didn't spend a dollar, didn't spend one dollar. I also worked with the Houston Botanic Garden. Uh, they were interested in going to Glenbrook Golf Course. Uh, they raised the money. Uh, we now have a Houston Botanic Garden. The city didn't spend one dollar, not one dollar. I work with Commissioner Adrian Garcia. I know that there were businesses at Oaks Road, a street on the northeast part of my district, uh, that has been neglected for decades, decades. There was pothole after pothole after pothole, and they were tired of the city just coming out to fill potholes. We didn't have the money to go out there and do Oaks Road, so I reached out to Commissioner Adrian Garcia. Uh, uh, Precinct 2 has put money, the city has put money. As I speak, the city is now refurbishing Oaks Road. Uh, so I'm proud of that. Uh, to address stray dogs in our neighborhoods, uh, I went to Austin, uh, spoke and toured Emancipat. Emancipat has been trying to come to Houston for years. Uh, they now are here in Houston. They have three clinics. They're providing low-cost spay and neutering now. So thank you. I'm Lee Kaplan. I am not a member of the political class. I've never run for office before. I have been brought up to learn in the private sector. Mike, Mike, Mike. Oh, up your mouth. Just close your mouth. Close it to your mouth. I am not a member of the political class. I've never had an office before, but I have been brought up to learn 
that doing things right, as I said earlier, is labor intensive. And I've called probably 4,000 people asking them what they think. Many times they say, nobody ever asked me that before. There are multiple silos, but the most important things are what we have to concentrate on. Crime and infrastructure are one and one A, and I'm not sure what the order is. Picking up the garbage, plain old blocking and tackling, permitting so we have more housing. There are many more issues, but a mayor has to be a leader and has to appoint the most competent people. Who are the least charismatic mayors you can think of in recent history? Bill White comes to mind because Bill was interested in merit, in people doing a good job, doing what's right, and that's what I'm dedicated to. I am a workhorse, not a show horse, and I hope you'll consider that when you decide who to vote for for mayor. It's Lee Calvin. Thank you. Hello, my name is Robin Williams, and I am running to become your next mayor of Houston, Texas. I come with the most first-hand experience. I served in the United States Marine Corps. I am a natural-born leader. I served during a time of war. Shortly after that, at the age of 23, at the age of 23, I served in the, in the American Red Cross, reconnecting refugees displaced by war. I went into the VA hospitals and sat with the very men and women that fought for our country. And then I decided to put on a blue uniform and there I learned what it really meant to serve our community. I was there for Harvey. I was there for COVID. I was there for the Arctic storm. I was there, Houston, and I will continue to be there. And I'll leave you with this question. Are you ready for a change of direction? Again, my name is Robin Williams for Mayor. Thank you so much. First, give it up for this crowd again one more time. Because listen, we're here. We could have done the same thing. What are the questions? We could have done all those things. We're here, right? Because we, as Houstonians and citizens, deserve it. We should demand it. We should demand the participation. We should make them faces and find out what they're about in front of their peers. So my name is Gilbert Garcia. I'm also a novice. I've never run for anything before either. In fact, I'm the American dream. My family's been in South Texas for generations. The land changed hands on my ancestors. At the end of the day, um, my grandfather was a, uh, a Marine. That was his way out, out of poverty. My father was a realtor. That was his way to the middle class. And that's how he raised all of us. But again, I've experienced those things. I've been called, you know, bad words as a Hispanic. I won't say them here. I've been called them all, right? I've been called them. And it has made me stronger and smarter. I went to public high school. I know what it's like to be able to say, I want to take some lady to a dance, and I couldn't because I was Hispanic. I know what that's like. And then, of course, my first big break is I went to Yale. That changed my life. And I was one of those kids when holidays would come and my roommates would go skiing in Switzerland and all those things. I was stuck on campus. Why? I couldn't afford to go anywhere. And my family couldn't tuck me in when I went to Yale because they couldn't afford to, to tuck me in. 
That made me build character. And then I had a break, not a hand out, a hand up. And I had a summer internship on Wall Street. And I flourished. I came to Houston. We built this firm. We went from 20, me, 200 million to 22 billion. I feel, and my wife feel, it is our time to give back. And we have been given back with our time and our treasure for many years. It's just now, somehow people are, are uh, discovering us. But we've been doing this for well over a decade. So here's why I'm running. Hopefully some of you, this will resonate. We deserve better. And I don't mean potholes. We deserve better. And it starts first to me. I can't be finished. <laughs> Let's give everybody a minute. two votes, no vote got two votes, and Amanda Edwards got three votes. Our very unscientific straw poll of the evening. Uh, once again, thank you to the Humble Area Democrats for their help tonight, the Kingwood Democrats, Egberto Willis has been live streaming for us. Go to Politics Done Right to see this again. Uh, Politics Done Right is a show almost every day of the week, and Egberto uh, does so many good things for the Democratic Party. And also, uh, we have translators in back that are gonna be putting this online in Arabic and in Chinese. Uh, so look forward to those kinds of things. Thanks again for everybody coming. <laughs> spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.